And that looks like a blast. I hope you're able to go, ladies, guys. Sorry, you're not welcome. Um, but we love you anyways. Just relax. Uh, we're going to have a good time together. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open it to Romans chapter 14. That's where we'll be. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. If you raise your hand, we have one in the back. Or you can use your device. If you use your device in faith, I will trust that's what you're doing with your device. And so uh, we're, we'll all be on the same page here. Uh, Romans chapter 14 is where we're going to pick it up here in just a moment. 247 years ago today, Benjamin Franklin stood in front of a group at Independence Hall, and he uttered these words, we must all hang together, or assuredly, we shall all hang separately. They, with one voice, cried out in the Declaration of Independence, and specifically signing the Declaration of Independence, 27 Grievances that had been listed, that had happened uh, at minimum over a decade, and in some cases uh, up to 100 years, as they were processing through this together and they wanted a more perfect union, they agreed with one voice on some specific matters, and they declared their independence from a nation that was holding them hostage. Unperfect, imperfect people, for sure. We still haven't arrived, but... On that day, they made some decisions, and they were willing to stand up in unison together, not just with their wealth, but also their sacred honor, willing to sacrificially give. And it's that call that uh, I want to challenge us with, not a secular call, but a sacred call, with one voice, united together, on one mission, and so as we consider what that mission might be, what it might look like, I, I want to tell you that I, I suspect that in a group this size, we, we maybe could splinter really easily. And, and we do it individually, in general terms. And it looks like this. People who have victory start living a life of defeat. Uh, people who have sight act as if they're blind. People who have been found act as if they have been lost. People who have life sleep in graves. And in those places where we're not living exactly what God has called us to do, we're missing the point. And I suspect in part uh, because we have a tendency to hunker down and focus on ourselves, the things that we need, the things that we want, the way that we want them, the, the way that we think it should be. And we get lost in those places and we forget the unity that God has called us to. Many years ago, when I went out to Wyoming, a pastor friend took me up to a mountain. Now, this particular mountain might, be, might not be the typical way you would think of as a mountain. You're thinking perhaps of greenery and lakes nearby and, and uh, evergreens. and That's not where I was at. Uh, I was on top of very large rocks. And as we stood up on top of this mountain that was pretty bare, we looked across and you could see literally for miles and miles. And as we're looking across, the pastor looked at me and he goes, Hey, you see that tree down there? I said, Yep. He said, you see the greenery around that tree? I said, yep. 
And he goes, you notice how there's nothing else around it? I said, yep. And he goes, I want you to know there's a spring right there. I said, oh, this guy's pretty smart. He really knows the area, that just random place. He knows where there's a spring. And he looks over at another tree on the other side, miles away. And he goes, and there's a spring right over there too. And I said, how do you know? Like, are you that familiar with this area? And he said, well, not exactly. Where you're from, Kenny, things just grow. But out here in this part of Wyoming, things don't just grow. There are over 300 days of sunshine and no clouds. And the sun beats down on this area. And things don't grow. Except where there's a spring. And where there's a spring, you'll see a tree. You'll see some plants. You'll see some greenery around it because there's a spring there that is feeding life. And where there is no other life around it, because there's a spring there, there is life. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Started making me think about spiritual things. But before I got too far down that road, he said, and you know what else, Kenny? In the same area that we're at, they've done some digs. And they found aquatic animal, bones of aquatic animals here. Fossils. Which means that at one time, this area was completely underwater and it was teeming with life. Oh. Well, that, that's pretty interesting because as I look out onto what I was looking out at that day, there, there wasn't much life there. Except for a tree and a spring. And a tree, and a spring, and a little bit of greenery. And it got me thinking about this. Throughout the scriptures, we, we see being in Christ or Christ in us a few different ways. About a half a dozen times, we see some sort of inference to God indwelling us. So that the Spirit indwells us. Christ in us. The seed of God inside us. Well, we, we read those types of phrases about a half a dozen times in the scripture. And that's important. But if you think about it, Christ in me starts, really focuses on, in many ways, me. Christ in me. But there, over 90 times, is another phrase that's used. And that's us in Christ. Or being in the spirit. That we are in that. Here's the difference. The difference is a spring that is, that is giving a little bit of life in a desert area. That's the life inside. Or an ocean that you're surrounded by where the area is teeming with life. Do you see the difference? Do we want to focus on Christ in me? It's not bad. Or do we focus being in Christ? And I would suggest that many of us have a tendency to focus with Christ in me and forget about being in Christ. Because being in Christ has a different idea, doesn't it? We're immersed in him. We're surrounded by him. We, we are uh, accountable for ourselves, but there's also life going on around us. When we focus on Christ in us, it's really about the fruit of our lives in that place. Both are good. But when we look at just the numbers over 90 times, our attention is taken as believer of being in Christ. I want to take just a few moments and give us some time in prayer. And during this time in prayer, I want to encourage you to ask some hard questions. Lord, am I willing to be in you or do I just focus on being in Christ?
take just a few moments now and, and speak to the Lord. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the Word together. Lord, when I consider how good you are, that you would extend life to us, I also have to consider how much the flesh calls to me, how often I want to do my own thing, how I'm just satisfied with you and me, but I, I don't go to those places where it is teeming with life, with your life, where your life is the focus, where you are the focus in this kingdom of God that has righteousness and peace and joy. And I, I miss those places so often. And Lord, I don't think I'm speaking of just myself. I think many of us have that tendency. And so today with a heart turned towards you with one voice, we, we would ask that you would redirect us, that you would guide us to you to hear your word and respond in faith for your good glory. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Remember that as we began this series, it was, it was on the heels of a couple of other series through the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters really focused on who God is, what he has done, why he has done it. And the second uh, section really leans into how we live this life out. And the hinge point is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so we see it like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So we are called in this passage, in this hinge point piece, to allow ourselves to be sacrifices to God. That we're living. It's ongoing. It doesn't just stop. It's not a one-time deal like, okay, God, well, I went to church that one Sunday. We're good. Everything's perfect. Done. Now I'm going to go about my life. But rather, it's moment by moment we're offering ourselves uh, to the Lord, consecrated to him for his work, for his joy, for his good. That we would offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. As much as we like music, as much as we like to sing, as much as we like to gather, our spiritual worship is offering our bodies as a sacrifice to God. Not my will, but your will be done. That I would be found in you, that it's not about me. To confirm that, in verse 2, he goes on to say, Do not be conformed to this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that there is a spiritual element of our mind that which we feed grows. When we shared this illustration a few times throughout this series, uh, I showed you a picture of my cats. Remember that? And uh, I have one cat that is, he's fat. That's just all there is to it. He's a really fat, large cat. And he is that way because he eats at least twice as much as the other cat. And if you were to pick up my two cats, it would become very clear that one is much heavier than the other and, because he eats a lot. He loves food. But the principle is this, that which we feed is that which grows. And so, what are we feeding our mind? Is it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? Or is it that of the spirit? If we're going to be found in Christ, then we have a responsibility to move away from the world 
and that which is in the world and move towards the Spirit. So uh, as we got to this place, we started to see that God is calling us to feed the Spirit, not the flesh. This, uh, Pastor Matt, when he was here last week, ended with this verse. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The, the idea is that you and I are accountable to God ultimately, that there will be a day where we will stand before the Lord. And when we stand before the Lord, what happens? Well, we'll, we'll either see him as our Savior or our judge, that uh, we, haven't, we hadn't surrendered to him, and therefore he judges us. Or he is our Savior. We've surrendered to him, and he rescues us. We're all going to stand and account to him. And what will it be on that day? And that, that takes us up to where we are in chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in verse 13 here in just a moment. But uh, let me give us kind of a, a big idea of this section. We're going to talk about endurance and unity. Endurance and unity. What I'm saying is this is not a sprint. Uh, it's a marathon. Uh, not the sermon. We'll be done in like 25 minutes. But uh, our life is a marathon. And, and that's important for us to remember. Recently, uh, my son, he came to me and, and he goes, Dad, I just, I just see the older that I get that it seems like we go from one kind of big thing to the next really big thing to the next really big thing. And like, Dad, it, it's a lot. I said, Yeah. We don't, we don't get summer break from life, do we? Uh, that's kind of a bummer, right? Uh, but the reality is it's endurance, and we're in this together, and we're called to unity, this, this one voice in Christ. Let's see how this plays out. Uh, this section starts with refraining from passing judgment on fellow believers. Uh, let me suggest something. That's uh, impossible. We're all pretty judgy. Uh, not, not just you, I am too. Uh, in the flesh, we can all be pretty judgy. Do you know that's true? Do you know that's true of the person next to you? Ha <laughs> gotcha. Um, we, we can be that way. Why? Because we live in this world that's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we promote this stuff all the time. And we feed these things all the time. And so we're constantly thinking from our selfish vantage points. Like that's how the world trains us to think. And God is calling us out of that and into a new way of life. A new world. A world that is teeming with life. But it's going to cause us to have to walk in the Spirit. So when I say we can't do this, I mean we can't do this without Christ. But in Christ, there is a unity and a beauty that exists that we're called into. Uh, uh, let's just go ahead and jump in and start to work through the passage together. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. This is a big deal, right? Like, so what, what Paul is telling the church early on, and this is a church that is being persecuted, a church that is receiving both persecution uh, from the government and their family, and the pressure is on. And you know that sometimes when the pressure is on, the easiest place to be uh, grumpy, to be mean, to be judgy, are those people that are closest to you. And, and Paul's warning them of that. Uh, be careful. Don't do that. You're going to stand in front of God one day, 
don't judge. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So we're being purposeful, considering others better than ourselves. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Think of this from Paul's vantage point. Paul was uh, a Pharisee. That means that Paul was very intentional to try to understand the scriptures and live it out. On this matter of being clean and unclean, it's a big matter in Judaism of the first century. Uh, Because Paul has things that he can eat and can't eat, and, and that can make him clean and unclean. Additionally, there are people that he comes in contact with that could make him clean and unclean. And we might think about that and go, hmm, yeah, that sounds like a bummer. But it's, it's a bigger deal than that because he's going to have to go through a ritual cleansing that involves a mikvah. Uh, he's going to have to separate himself from other people. Like there is a lot involved in becoming clean in Judaism. So when he says this, he's talking about a culture that has really embraced it, that he's grown up with. And what he is saying is very counterculture. Uh, in what he believes, but he's also seen Jesus reveal himself in some significant ways. He's walked with Peter as Peter has given his own vision of food being let down and God telling him to participate that nothing is unclean. We're not unclean from what uh, goes into us, but rather what comes out from us. And, And so Paul is leaning into that reality, but he also realizes not everybody's quite there. <clears throat> For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Okay, so you might have some freedoms. Uh, but if you exercise those freedoms knowing that your brother is not in that place of freedom, then you're not walking in love. You actually can hinder them. Uh, you could harm them. And an identifier that we're being uh, walking in the flesh and not the spirit is we go, I have freedom in Christ to do. I can do whatever I want. Uh, That might be an identifier that we're not walking in the Spirit. Let's, uh, sorry, let me back up. Uh, By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do you see the care in Paul's words there? Like for one another? Uh, We care for one another. Why? Because Jesus has value in that person. Why does Jesus have value? And well, he died for them. He loved them enough to give, give his life. So we want to walk in a place uh, where contention doesn't have to happen. We don't have to be a stumbling block. We think of others and consider others better than ourselves. Continues on. In this section, we'll prioritize peace, edification, and righteousness. Watch how this manifests. It's really interesting. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. In other words, watch your testimony. You and I, as followers of Christ, are stewarding the reputation of God in this world. And and sometimes people say things like this. Uh, I'm not interested in church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. Um, Why do people say that? Well, sometimes it's ignorance. That's true. Sometimes it's misunderstandings. That's true. And sometimes it's because we're hypocrites. And we have to be careful and repentant, and observant. And so what we have is good, and let's let the world see the goodness of God. He continues on, and I love the change in his pace, okay? So we've been talking about food, 
uh, things that are clean and unclean uh, for most of the chapter at this point. And he changes and he's like, okay, let's get to the point here. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Wait, what? It's not about what I eat and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So uh, what Paul says is, even so, it's not about this food and it's not about this drink. It's about something more important. What is more important? Righteousness. Well, let's start with that term first. We saw that term lived out in the benevolent giving uh, of the people in ancient Israel. How they would give uh, towards the poor, their righteousness it was sometimes referred to. So this righteousness that was put together was a benevolent offering for those who would die without it. And, and by uh, cultural context, it's like that's the gospel, isn't it? That we have, we have an incredible need that we, can't have, that we can't get in and of ourselves. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't manufacture it. It's not something that I have access to. But God in his goodness has given it, has offered it to anybody who would call on his name. And he offers it for our, our participation. But the kingdom of God is like that, that we also offer that righteousness. God's goodness to others. It's not ours to hoard, but rather to give away. And so uh, it's identified in this passage, not just righteousness, but peace, that shalom peace. It's all encompassing. It's the peace that is a right relationship with God. It's the peace that is also a right relationship with one another. Jesus connects these two when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? When when he says, love the Lord your God. And then he goes on and says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He connects these commandments in such a way that, that you can't divorce them. If you're thinking, well, I just only have to please God, then you're missing the point because part of pleasing God, of loving God, of, of, of respecting God, of being in God is loving people also. <clears throat> I've been guilty of this. Perhaps you have been guilty of it. But over the course of the the years I've had to repent and, and really consider this phrase, and maybe you've heard it, where someone will say, church is good if it wasn't for the people. And it's like, well, well wait a minute. Uh, I hear what you're saying, that we're all messed up and we have a lot of work to do, but also Jesus loves those people. So much that he died for those people. So much that he offered his righteousness to those people to receive. So much that he gives them his peace. And we want to be really careful how we refer to and how we talk about people because they're actually an object of God's affection. And we're not to judge them. Continuing on, this kingdom of heaven is also uh, a place of joy. Now, I want to make a distinction here because it's important. It doesn't mean that emotionally you have to be happy all of the time. That's not what this joy is referring to. But this deep down abiding that I love, I am overwhelmed with your goodness that despite my situation and circumstances, I know that I'm in a right relationship with you. In faith, I am walking and in faith, I'm having a right relationship with others and there is joy, this deep-seated joy that I'm called to. Sometimes it manifests itself in happiness, but it's something deeper than just happiness. It's also something we're called to. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. And then to clarify, it says, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Joy is a part of this kingdom that we experience. One of the ways we know that we're immersed in the Holy Spirit, that we are in the Holy Spirit, we are in God, we are in Christ, we are uh, in this area that is teeming with life, is when we know that we have both received and given this righteousness, we have received and given this peace, we have received and given this joy. And if those things aren't present, it might be an identifier of one of two things. One, we might just be focused on God in me. Yeah, he'll forgive me. If I mess up, he'll forgive me. It's okay. Or it may be that we've never really went there and submitted to him. One of, uh, another identifier is if there's repentance. So what that looks like is a little bit different. I've heard recently kind of a movement of people receiving Christ as their Savior without a need to repent. It's like, that, that's not even biblical. Like, you're just embracing Christ while never repenting of your own sin. That's not even biblical. So, so there is a responsibility that we have in Christ to repent of this world and all that we love about it. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And to walk in the Spirit to be immersed in him. The kingdom of God is about that kind of stuff, not about food and drink. We continue on. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Again, Paul is doubling down on this idea that it is about Christ. It's not about us individually. This is an opportunity for us to serve the Lord. When we choose to get along, we are serving God in that place. Uh, if we're choosing to argue and fight, then we're probably, that's probably an identifier that, that it's about us again. My preference, my own personal conviction, and not about what Christ has. But when we choose unity and serve Christ in that place, good identifier, we're in the kingdom. Thirdly, build up one another and avoid causing stumbling. Uh, building one another up. Let's talk about it. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We're moving in a different direction now. We're pursuing peace, the shalom of God. We're going to have conversations about that, what is most helpful, and what is most helpful mutually, not what benefits me or not what just benefits you. What is mutually beneficial in this? Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Again, the idea of preference getting in the way of God's work. In, in today's uh, culture, maybe it would be um, a preference on color on the walls or carpet or, or music style. It could be any of those things. One of, uh, one of the things I've, I've so appreciated through the years is a guy named Ken Malm. Ken Malm was our executive director out in Cheyenne, and just, he's an old cowboy. He, he broke horses for a living. Not like broke them, hurt them, but made them able to be ridden, right? So just a great guy and simple, matter of fact. And one day I said, Ken, I noticed you worshiping this week, and I just really appreciated it. I had no idea that you would like that style of music. He was 80 at the time. And he goes, no, nah, I don't. <clears throat> I don't really care for it. 
But I've also learned a long time ago that worship isn't about me. So if I direct it to the Lord, that's what it's for. And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. But Ken gets it. Uh, not for the sake of music, destroy the work of God. He's seeking unity in a place where it would have been easy to, to divide a beautiful heart. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. For the sake of my growth or for the sake of your growth, we are willing to hold back uh, and, and not exercise some freedoms that we have. Verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves but whoever has doubt, uh, doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And there we have it. When, when we talk about being in Christ or in the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the identifiers is that we're walking in faith. And that's not just this abstract reality like, oh, yeah, uh, Faith is this abstract world. No, it is a trust in God that we are choosing to walk in. Something that's both given to us by God and exercised for the glory of God. It's trust in Him. If it's outside of that, uh, that's sin. Again, it requires repentance. May God grant you endurance and encouragement to live in harmony. So... Um, Verses 5 through 7 in chapter 15. If you're following along, we're skipping ahead just a little bit. Uh, let's take a look at those briefly. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Uh, I love this. You know the word encouragement? It means to give courage. And in a race, we need this kind of uh, help. Anybody ever went and watched a marathon? I, I've watched a part of one. I've never run in a marathon. I don't ever intend to. If you ever see me running, you should be running too because there's a reason. Uh, but a marathon, one of the things you'll see is people are kind of randomly uh, throughout this path and uh, they're there encouraging the runners because they need courage because it's a long way. They are, if you can encourage them with your words, maybe give them a bike. I don't know. Uh, that's a long way. They need encouragement, and God calls us to that same thing. That together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we do that one voice when we are in Christ together. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In just a moment, we're going to begin to prepare our hearts for communion. And the question just kind of lays in front of us. How are we preparing our hearts for the glory of God? How are we giving ourselves over to God as we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, narrowing the range of all the things we could be doing in the flesh? We're narrowing it down to God's call, his kingdom. Let's take a look at these. First thing, cultivate endurance in the face of differences and disagreements. In other words, the discussions that take place, the tension that might happen, it's worth it. Uh, 
We might get in places where we get frustrated with one another. You know, the, the EGRs, the extra grace required type of people, the, the people that it doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens, they just rub you the wrong way all the time. It could be that God is using them as sandpaper in your life to smooth you down. And that's okay. It's worth it. Uh, cultivate endurance in those places. It's worth it. It's worth another conversation in love. It's worth giving up, sacrificing uh, what we want and perhaps even freedoms that we have in Christ so that we can walk in unity. It's worth it. B, offer encouragement and support to fellow believers. Give courage. Uh, Look for opportunities to do it. Perhaps you see somebody in that battle. Give them encouragement. Encourage them with words. Encourage them with written words, perhaps. Send them a note in the mail. Nobody gets those anymore. Like, what a a way to encourage. Avoid passing judgment and prioritize unity. So in places where we could assume the worst, let's prioritize Christ in those places. D. Embrace a welcoming attitude imitating Christ's acceptance. Probably. Jesus didn't go, oh, Kenny, I see you received me as uh, your savior. We'll see. I don't know know if I like you yet or not. (laughs) Jesus didn't do that, thankfully. Could have, didn't. And he doesn't expect anything less from us to embrace and encourage one another. Glorify God through our actions of endurance, encouragement, and welcoming. In other words, all of these things are not directed to us individually. This is directed to Christ. This is his kingdom. As the worship team comes out, I I want to begin to prepare our hearts for communion in some specific ways. Communion is for the believer, and Jesus instituted it, and he called believers to follow him. And one of the ways that he called his believers is, as we gather together, we remember this body that was broken, could have been us that was giving our lives. Imperfect, separated from God for eternity, Jesus gave the perfect offering. And we remember that when we come together and participate in communion. Our offering wouldn't have been enough. And in the Old Testament, they they used animal blood that just, just covered sin. But Jesus says, this blood, it's a new covenant, and it takes sin away. And it's the work of God. And when we come together for communion, we remember that. Not that this cup makes that happen. Not that this bread makes that happen. But Jesus does. And he focuses our attention uniquely on that. Where it needs to be. So that it's not about us. But it's about living in Christ. In a beautiful, unifying sort of way. At Friendship, you don't have to be a member of Friendship to participate in communion, but you do need to be a member of the body of Christ, receiving Christ as your Savior. We encourage you to come down the carpeted areas to go to a station nearest you and return on the outer aisle to your spot. And at the end of a time of worship, Pastor Jason will lead us in communion. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you and we need you. We thank you and we praise you, O Lord, and We would just even now recognize our tendency to be defeated, blind, lost, and lay in a grave. While the reality remains that we have been victorious in Christ, that we have sight because of Christ, that we have been found in Christ 
that we have life in Christ. So Lord, forgive us for that and help us to swim in your kingdom that is teeming with life, beautiful, wonderful, eternal life for your good glory. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.